Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Sports Medicine on Tap. I'm Jason Kopek, down here once again at Neck of the Woods Brewing Company, located right here in Pittman, New Jersey. I got another sour IPA on, on tap, and I got the good Dr. Frey with me. How you doing, buddy? Not doing too bad. Oh. Another packed house down here, huh? It is. It's a good freaking night. I love yeah. it. Yeah. We're, we're 45 episodes in now, and I think this is, we had some small opportunities here and there, but this is the first episode where we're going to touch on the same athlete, but a completely different injury. And we're going back to our roots, like, right. like what, the, what the sort of the podcast was founded on, yep. which is take a professional athlete, yeah. um, their injury, and that's our, our, our launching pad yeah. to talk about that specific injury. Right. Right? And we don't have any details about that yeah. particular athlete, actually. We don't right. have access to his medical documentation, his yeah. medical records. But we just take that as a launcher pad and talk about that injury. Right. And in more recent shows, we've gotten a little bit away from that. We've kind of adopted things a little bit. We've, we've discussed a bunch of the injuries yeah. out there. I'm excited to get back to the yeah. uh, the standard outline. So I think it was like episode four or five where we you know we kind of introduced Fernando Tatis to, you know, to our podcast, I guess, right. so to speak. And uh, we went in this great detail back then about you know this 23-year-old absolute Stud. superstar right massive contract 340 million dollar 14 year deal dr murray who we had on a bunch of times yep. uh you know kind of coined him as like the next big thing since like a bryce harper or you know uh mike trout probably pro you know of course mike trout's right up there we're yeah. probably the best one two maybe three yeah players right in the right. game right now yeah absolutely but he had this kind of mysterious wrist injury mm -hmm. and to talk about that we had to bring back you know one of my favorite guests and you know Heck the yeah. expert for the for the hand uh -huh. dr dwyer dr joe dwyer thanks for coming back yeah nice to be here <laughs> all right i've got my ipa so i'm all ready to go pretty, pretty freaking good right yeah hazy ipa yeah. Uh, which uh, last time wasn't quite as good, but this time is fantastic. It's very, very new to the menu. Right. And Frank Price was down here tonight and he was uh, pitching it to us. And um, So it, good to see Frank. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Great to see him down here. Right. The beer uh, stands up. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's his Horizons uh, IPA. Is that, that's the one? Uh, five Horizons. Five yep. Horizons. Five Horizons. Yep. Delicious. Yeah. And of course, I'm a few beers in, so yep. I'm going to be a little bit talkative. <laughs> Dr. Dwyer, so uh, we had you on, it was like the middle of September for our listeners, it was episode 22, and we had you on to talk about the elbow dislocation. Yes. Uh, it was uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defensive back, Sean Murphy Bunting. Right. And unfortunately, I haven't seen you since then, and I remember you made that joke, you know, if you're seeing me, it's probably not for a good reason, but <laughs> yeah. uh, I got some feedback from that episode I thought I'd share with you here live, where one athletic trainer reached out to me and said he was in the same position as I was, where... He had always kind of coined the elbow dislocation as the injury he never, ever wanted to see. And he's like, I, I don't know why, but it just scared the hell out of him. Uh, and he said he, he found it fascinating just the outcome of what that conversation was like with you, where we kind of just said, it's not as bad as it seems in the moment. Right. Yeah. You know, and, no, and it's a violently looking injury. Right. But most of the time it goes okay. Yeah. You know, unless it doesn't, right? Of course, right. <laughs> but uh, but most of the time, it, it, yeah. it you know you, you can kind of get through it and get get that athlete back. And and he talked about he's like I guess that's why there's there's the experts and then there's there's not. But he's like I just it scared the hell out of him. And he's like, but Doctor Dwyer was so cavalier about like yeah, in the moment it looks bad, but 
he's probably home. He's a little sore, and he's going to be fine, and he's going to be back. Yeah, now, given, yeah, I never dislocated my elbow right. myself, <laughs> right? So I'm like, oh, yeah, right. no big deal. Yeah. Don't worry about it. it until I dislocate my own, and I go, oh, it was the worst pain right. ever. Right. And then there was a second athletic trainer that also reached out to me uh, from the area and said, uh, you know, we, we always have these students or shadows or interns that say, you know, you're sitting there watching a game and you're just making small talk and uh, what's the worst injury you ever seen? And he said his was always his answer was always the elbow dislocation. And then he's like, I, I really thought about it after listening to the episode where like in the moment, like, you know, we, we splinted them, we sent them off. But yeah, I guess in reality, like that wasn't that big a deal. Like it was it was fine in, in the end, you know, in the end of it. You right. know? Yeah, and, hopefully you see that same athlete back right. in, in, in five or six weeks right. and you go, okay, right. yeah, it wasn't that bad. Right. And I remember, uh, I, I ended up listening back when I found out we were going to be, uh, you know, gracious enough to have you back. And you had kind of anticipated Lucky this enough. like uh, four to five week return. And that's exactly what that gentleman went through. Yeah. I mean, he was back. And, and I remember you said, um, well, wear this brace and they're not really even sure what why and then he wore it for like two weeks and then you see him without it yeah you know it, it yeah. was like you were spot on with your i don't think your, that that yeah i, I yeah. always worry about that brace like a bracing elbows doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense yeah. to me but you know, you know if you're going to fall on it and it's right. and it's going to go out it's going to go out yeah right. that brace isn't going to stop right. it but yeah what's what's the hesitation block some range of motion slows you down doesn't quite get that light uh, yeah back. i just think the awkwardness of wearing something on your arm that potentially could decrease the motion in one joint puts the other joints at risk right your shoulder becomes at risk because you don't have as much motion to the elbow your wrist your fingers your hand you know right. with fernando tatis i mean this is where the injury got a little mysterious we know that he suffers this uh motorcycle accident down in the dominican republic in december and there was you know at the time and dr frank we've had an episode just based on the mlb lockout sure uh but you know there sounds like there was speaking of which MLB lockout's done. Right. Opening day. Right. Right gonna have, the corner. Going to have Greg Burke back on soon, I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, I love it. But but very interesting right. how that played out. Yeah. Continue. Sorry. But we, we we know that the accident was reported as minor. We don't necessarily know the mechanism of how he landed, but there's been some suspicion that that's where this wrist injury kind of stemmed from. Apparently, there was this kind of rule where there was no communication allowed between the players and the staff. Yeah. Uh, the medical staff, coaches, everything. So the lockout ends and Fernando reports the spring training with the rest of the team and, you know, kind of jumps into things, taking batting practice and swings, you know, with the team. And that wrist injury kind of exacerbates. Right. So, you know, I, I think it's very safe to assume from our standpoint, and, and, and obviously we're, we're looking at this without really full knowledge of mm -hmm. the situation. Of course. But it's very safe to assume that the accident that happened in the beginning of December mm -hmm. is what caused him to break his wrist. Mm -hmm. Right. Because number one, he's a professional athlete. Mm -hmm. And you know, you don't break your wrist lifting weights. Mm -hmm. You don't break your wrist doing push-ups. You break yeah. your wrist in a traumatic injury. And that was the only thing that he had. And he did admit mm -hmm. right after the, right. The, the thing that he said, Oh yeah, I felt like I jammed my wrist. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is a typical story that I hear from young mostly young men right that get into a, an accident whether it's a fall or whether it's a sports injury mm -hmm. and they say yeah it hurt for a few weeks 
and I just kind of babied it, mm -hmm. and then it stopped hurting. Mm -hmm. yeah. The problem is that when they go back into heavier use, that's when it starts hurting again, right? right? right. So it probably got to a point where it coalesced for him. It right. didn't hurt that much. He was able to go through his day-to-day -day routine with a little bit of a sore wrist, mm -hmm. but once you start to swing a bat, make contact, right. lift heavy weights, right. things like that, that's where you really start to feel it. So I have a little bit of a, uh, maybe an interesting story for you, maybe not, on a, on a couple different levels. When, when I was in college, right, pre-med, you, 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 obviously you went through this whole process too. I think people have this notion of pre-med that you're learning about medicine and whatnot. What they don't realize is you don't learn diddly about medicine while you're pre-med in college. You're learning the foundation, right? Like you're learning statistics, you're learning biology, you're learning all the stuff that's going to help you be able to know and understand the stuff that you're going to learn once you get to medical school, right? And um, I had an ex-girlfriend uh, and her younger brother had injured his wrist. And it went sore doc and was like, oh, it's a wrist sprain. Wait, was she your ex-girlfriend at the time? At that time, she was my girlfriend. Right, so she was your girlfriend. <laughs> I, I, had a, I have it's an okay ex-girlfriend. okay to say she was your girlfriend. Was my your wife's not going to get upset. Yeah, right, right. Right. And, and so, so you know, and, and he's like, hey, you know, like, like see, my, 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 my wrist hurts. And I like, got oh, sprained her wrist, right? Like, what do I know, man? I'm in, I'm in college. I don't, I don't, I don't yeah. know Italy. And, of course, it comes back in the end. Oh, scaphoid fracture. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, like you let this go. Now there's going to be a much bigger issue. And, and he looked at me and he's like, you're pre-med, man. Like, like, why didn't you know this? I'm like, I had no idea. <laughs> like, like it's, it doesn't have to do with pre-med. <laughs> right. You can miss a scaphoid fracture at any level. At right? my level, being sure. a surgeon that fixes these, yeah. I miss scaphoid fractures. It just happens and it all has to do with the fact that it pre presents very similarly to a wrist sprain right you have the, the this wrist pain but it's not that terrible there's not a ton of swelling you can still move around a little bit and so there are things that you kind of just will say okay yeah this looks like a wrist sprain and if you miss it it's really frustrating oh yeah 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 i think i'm scarred from it man I'm, i am on high alert hand and wrist tends to be my my biggest weakness in, in orthopedics it was a little bit of a, of a weakness in, in my residency at that particular time i am on high alert all the time for this particular injury for that for that yeah reason. and you should be especially as a sports medicine physician right mm -hmm. because it's really common yeah right mm -hmm. they say it was read a, a statistic that was something like one out of a hundred football players mm -hmm. will get a skateboard fracture right right wow. so anytime anybody's complaining of wrist pain that's that should be high on the list yeah so fernando tatis had this surgery about a week ago and as we now know um you know it it was listed as to repair a, a skateboard fracture but as you were just kind of hinting to like what is the importance of the skateboard bone i mean can you give us like a little anatomical review yeah. So the, the scaphoid is a really crucial bone in the wrist that when it's fractured, if it goes on to not heal, causes big problems. Mm -hmm. right? So to make it very simple, if you break your wrist, if you break your radius, which is one of the forearm bones, that's going to heal no matter what. Mm -hmm. You don't have a problem with that healing. Now, if it heals in poor position, then you might have a problem. But it's going to heal. The problem with the scaphoid that is, is that it has problems healing because it has poor blood supply. When you do a, a fracture, that bone, there is a chance that it doesn't heal. And if that happens, then you can go on to have stiffness, 
pain, and eventually arthritis in the wrist. Right. And that's a big complication, especially for an athlete. Yeah. Where is the skateboard bone located? So it is uh, on uh, the thumb side of the hand. Yeah. Um, basically, if you follow the thumb down almost mm -hmm. to the base, right where it becomes the wrist, that's where the scaphoid is. And it's a small bone. It's kind of peanut shaped. Yeah. And it uh, is much less common than breaking your, your radius, right. which is the, the normal yeah. bone that you break when you fall. So, yeah, it's, it's, an, it's not an uncommon uh, bone to break, but much less common. Right. And Dr. Frey, you were mentioning about being on high alert and you know, right. I was, was going to bring this up tonight and now maybe seems the most opportune time. But sure. I remember going through, you know, my athletic training education and I felt like we were always on high alert with the scaphoid bone, too. And right. I even remember uh, I have no idea how it works in medical school. Right. But for example, when we're on the hand wrist side of things, you know, we would walk into what we call our practical exams and there would be cards face down on the desk and you would pick one and slide it to your professor and then they would kind of act out that injury right and then you had to kind of die straight out of seinfeld yeah like kind of exactly what it was yeah uh i remember in that exam was um i must i pulled scaphoid fracture <laughs> and i even remember jumping to the first thing we palpated was like that scaphoid bone the snuff box and of course like the the professor kind of acts it out like oh that yeah that really lights me up and I, I kind of remember being thrown off was like well I wasn't ready for my diagnosis on the first thing I did so I'm trying to get I'm trying to rule out other things that I like, kind of show them yeah but then also I remember I pulled scaphoid fracture on like my board exam you know like there was like this this big urgency to you know be able to evaluate the scaphoid bone yeah yeah it's because it causes so many problems right. later on yeah you know, if it, it, the, 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 the typical example that I see in the office is a 17 or 18 year old kid who fell a year ago. Right. Right. Mm. And he realizes a year later, it doesn't hurt that much, mm. but he can't do push ups. Right. He right. can't. He can't fully extend his wrist and he knows if he does, it's going to hurt. Right. And he tells his parents that they take him in. They said, well, let's get an x-ray. And you can see that that bone has not healed. Mm. And that's where it becomes a big problem because right. then you're not talking about a, a simple fix. Right. You're talking about a much more complicated yeah. surgery with a longer recovery and a decreased success rate. Yeah. And that's where it becomes a problem. It's I a guess before, before I ask how the injuries happen, when you evaluate these in the exam room, are you seeing them more acutely or because it sounds like you're actually talking about like a lot of chronic. I hope to see them acutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So every time I see somebody that fell and hurt their wrist, whether they got diagnosed with a wrist sprain or a fracture, I, I check for that and you hope to catch it then. Yeah. But yeah, you do get the ones that come to you, like you just said, a month like yeah. or six yeah. weeks. Or a year later, those are the ones that you really remember. Right. Would you consider a month to be delayed? At that point, are you abandoning kind of initial acute management? No. Right. right. A month is 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 fine. Pretty six, early. Six weeks is fine. Right. Um, uh, even probably up to three or four months. Yeah. I would say it's probably still the same surgical treatment. It's the ones that you see you know, beyond six months that really worry you and you have to do some extra stuff like getting bone graft and things like that to right. fix them. 
We're going to get into that, I'm sure, in, yeah. in just a couple of minutes here. How, how does the scaphoid bone become injured, whether it be the athletic population or the general population? It's always a fall on to outstretched hands. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll, they'll give you a, a million different... Oh, well, you have, the hand has to be pronated or supinated and rotated and then you fall on it backwards and it twists one way <laughs> yeah. and that's how it breaks yeah. right no right. that's not true you fell right. you fell and you landed on your hands like you, you tried have, to i guess to, to explain it you tried to to brace your fall like you put your hand correct. out to yeah correct mm -hmm. so you you put your hand out to brace the fall that's i would say 99.9 .9 of wow the injuries that you see i mean in a similar mechanism yeah. right for you know for you know if you're in a car accident and you're bracing your hands mm -hmm. against the wheel Heck and yeah. the car hits you. It's the yeah. same mechanism, right? right? So it's wrist, usually wrist extension from mm -hmm. what my experience is mm -hmm. and a load on that. And that um, and that causes a fracture. The, the thing that is always worrisome and always concerning is that wrist sprains also have tenderness at the wrist in the anatomic snuff box. Very right? similar. Yeah, right. it's a similar thing. So you know you, you you see a patient in the office you you press on that area where you expect it to be painful for a scaphoid and they go yeah that hurts right well is it a scaphoid fracture because the x-ray looks okay it's hard to say and that's why it's important from my standpoint to just follow these patients right just to keep an eye on them for a few weeks and say all right is this getting better or is this not getting better? right traditional teaching and again you know again admitted weakness some some of the hand stuff you know, at any time there. So let's say the the, the caveat or this the similar situation is we're taught in medical school. As soon as that little red flag goes up in your brain about the possibility this could be a DVT, get the ultrasound, just check, right? Like so. So for me, and I, I might be overly sensitized to it. As soon as that little flag goes up in my head, could be scaphoid. I send it. Let's get our scaphoid view. Get the scaphoid, the, the, the extra special X-ray that really gives us the best look right. at the scaphoid. Of course, yeah. That that that's something that you do. Then the uh, the question is, you know, if you're if you're really high on the suspicion scale, do you get an MRI? Right. Sometimes Bone you do. Scan, MRI. You know, What's, for for a guy like Tatis, he's getting an MRI probably yeah, before day, before yeah. before yeah. even the the X-ray. Hey, I have some pain here. MRI. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That scan the whole body, you know. Right, right. Um, uh, but yeah, that that that's usually the algorithm is you get the X-rays, you get the special X-ray. Uh, if there's still nothing that you see and there's a high index of suspicion, you get yeah. the MRI and, and prove it. Yeah, yeah. So Fernando Tatis went the surgical route, but I'm assuming there's cases where this doesn't have to go surgery. And how do those clinical exams differ? In high-level athletes. For an acute scaphoid fracture, it's very rare to go the non-surgical route, right? Because there there are pros and cons to everything, right? So the the non-surgical route is immobilization of the wrist mm -hmm. for usually nine to twelve weeks. Wow. Nine right? to twelve. That's that's what the book says, right? Okay. So nine to twelve weeks immobilization. And then you come out of that immobilization. Yeah. You can't move your friggin' wrist because yeah. stiff as it's, can be. It's stiff as, as can be. And then you're starting, you know, motion exercises. All of that time losing strength, losing mobility, losing all those things. The difference with the operative route is that you're gonna probably getting get them doing gentle range of motion, or at least my algorithm is gentle range of motion at 
two to four weeks. I'm kind of laughing. You might be seeing me smirk, but it's like my aha moment where it's right. Well, the Padres don't have six to eight months to wait out Fernando Tatis and go non-surgical and immobilize him for four months, as you just said, then right. start building strength up. We could have this accomplished much faster if we just go the surgical but route right in the beginning. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I actually don't know the answer to this. And I, don't, I don't know if you do, Jason. Well, that's why we have Dr. Dwyer here. Right. No, no, no. <laughs> a little bit of a different direction. You know, we had talked about his shoulder, getting yeah. surgery and whatnot. And I even, I hate to say, I think we might have revisited it at one point. I don't remember if he actually did eventually have the surgery on the shoulder. Yeah, they shut him down uh, once they fell out of contention, which was right. kind of our speculation. Once right. they, once we felt like they fell out of, you know, postseason contention, they were going to do, and that's what they ended up doing. They ended up doing yeah. the surgery. Mm -hmm. So a the, he, he was having, uh, he was having like posterior subluxations of the yeah. shoulder. Yeah. Really so he would take like some big massive swing, swing and miss. Yeah. And that shoulder would shoulder pop would out. Shoulder would sublux and you know? yeah. And, and, and yeah. he, he didn't want to have a fix, but but I guess eventually they did yeah. fix it. Mm -hmm. So no, the, the reports are here with the, with the, with this particular fracture is that his initial reaction was he refused surgery, and you know, yeah. and, and the way that things are shaking out, right? We don't know all the details, but as we already began to discuss during this this particular podcast already. Um, it seems as though the injury happened in December, and we may get into a little bit of the of the topic of the fact that there was this lockout mm -hmm. and how that potentially impacted his care because he couldn't be in touch with his docs and his mm -hmm. trainers and whatnot. But the the injury wasn't discovered until he started working out again yeah. quite a little while later. Right. To refuse the surgery at that point, one, it's it's tough to refuse the surgery when it first happens in a professional athlete for, for the reason you just stated, right? Like it takes so much longer to recover. What was the potential outcome? Where was this potentially going if he refused the surgery already two months into this injury, three months into this injury, developing a non-union? Where, do, where does it potentially go? You know, obviously he is entitled to refuse surgery of right course. That's, that's his right that's his right there were a lot of people in his ear yeah saying uh-uh right. no way are you refusing surgery yeah. because if you ask anybody that does what i do right in the nation they're gonna say oh that's a really really poor choice terrible idea terrible so decision. Th there's a lot of of other stuff in this story to talk about right, right. So number one is that he was injured in December, right? right. He never said anything. Right. On so a motorcycle, which is questionable, right, right? He couldn't say anything yeah. because of the lockout. So that makes things complicated. Right. He's got things in his contract, right? So, so in his contract, there has got to be a clause that you're not allowed to do dangerous things. Quick right. time out. Um, and, I, and I don't mean to Go disrupt ahead. what you're saying. When I was a resident, I got married when I was a resident, right? And... For my honeymoon, we went to Hawaii. Phenomenal. So many people get to do it, right? <laughs> the, the chairman of orthopedics sits me down before we leave. Two things you're not allowed to do while you're in Hawaii. You're not allowed to fly a helicopter to go sightseeing, flying a helicopter to go sightseeing. You're not allowed to take, go up to the top of Haleakala and take the bike down. Too many injuries. They're like, and I'm just a freaking resident, right? Like, like, like Fernando's worth 340 million. Yeah, yeah. 340 <laughs> million, right? Like, so, so, yeah, of course he's got yeah. these things in his contract. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, right. sorry. So, so he's got right. those things, right? Yeah. So the contract says that he's not allowed to do those things, right? Then he, he, he does, right? Mm -hmm. But also, 
he's not allowed to communicate afterwards. So he's yeah. not allowed to say, okay, yeah, I screwed up and I'm hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he probably says to himself, and I'm not in his shoes, mm-hmm. but he probably says to himself, you know, I went the non-operative route before and I, and, and I did okay. Or, right. or at least I've had other injuries. I stuck it out. Yeah. I've, I've had other yeah. injuries and I've done okay. Let's see how it goes. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and seeing how it goes sometimes is a poor choice. And in his case it is. Yeah. I, I think at the end of that, when he decided to come back and they see a fracture, he, he's got to do the right thing. He's yeah. got to be able to recover from this for himself too. What, what happens if, if it does go on, non-union where does this go with the non-union what are the potential well, well not, not I'll tell just you, as a professional would, athlete but just like as a person the contract implications i think mm-hmm. are the really the, the things to think about right? right so if he goes on so the, the, so they all they already have evidence of breach of contract right, right? so so they have that, the Padres have that in their back pocket. Yeah. They're not going to press that and say, we're going to take money from you because he's a mm-hmm. superstar. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But they have the ability to say, okay, if they you, to. you did, you did, did this. Now, this if he chooses, this is two years. Yeah, if he yeah. chooses a, a, a route of treatment that they don't agree with, and then he has a real problem and he's not able to get back to baseball ever, they will be able to say, okay, this injury that you had, was a poor choice. Yeah. It was a breach of contract, and you're unable to play, so we're not going to pay you. And and that's where it gets really complicated. Unless there's like some interesting kind of loophole here, where if the motorcycle accident happened during the lockout, then none Isn't of that interesting? none of them he's really are under contract. Yeah, right. like maybe he's not bound by those restrictions. And I, I was I was going right. to say like. I spent just under 15 years in pro sports and, and never really once went through a lockout or anything close, but I, I feel like you guys might be fascinated the amount of texts I got from guys, right? Like I got everything from my wife's in town and we just found out she's six weeks pregnant. I need a doctor, set her up, right? Well, I'm, we're an orthopedic group. I, right. I don't know what to tell you. Or, <laughs> hey, I, I drank way too much last night and I need a ride home, you know, or like things like, like I heard from guys 24 seven. That's just being a good guy, man. But I just, I, I don't know. I never experienced the lockout, but I can't imagine not hearing from somebody like there was, they, they're not allowed to communicate, but I, I just can't imagine that he didn't communicate with maybe someone, somebody like yeah. somebody didn't like, it, it's just, but I've never been in those shoes, right? So I don't, I can't, I'm not, I'm not saying it's untrue, but I'm like, you know, the guy that texts me for like, well, I need an OBGYN appointment for my wife. Like, I don't know how to help you. The, so Fernando Tatis was not allowed to communicate with the Padres organization. Right. 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 He's allowed to communicate with his agent. Right. With his personal trainer. Right. With his personal physician, which I'm sure he has. He, he's got plenty of people to communicate yeah, with about right. this injury. So, in the, the thirty docs that his agent has connections to, that that's said, a good hey, point. Go yeah. take a look at this guy. I think yeah. that, that that the loophole that you're talking about yeah. is the fact that it was a lockout. Right, right. right? right. There was a lockout, yeah. and he was able. He wasn't able to let them know of the injury. Yeah, right. yeah. And, and we call it a loophole, but it, in actuality, right? Like it's 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 a lot worse, right? Like like like, what if he knew something was going on and he didn't realize i have these other avenues to explore it and from his perspective this was really could have really and we still don't know the final verdict right it's still a work in progress but this could have 
really damaged his career. And, and you know, one of the dangers and one of the concerns of going down that road, mm-hmm. going down a lot. Well, let's let's go let's go to that topic next, right? I mean, we know he had surgery a couple of weeks ago. It was the 14th of March. Okay. You know, here we are, beginning of April, right? But so, you know, what does his outlook look like, Doctor Dwyer? So they're they're talking right now about a a, a three month recovery mm-hmm. for this. Yeah. Which means to me that. Well, let me let me go back. Right. Yeah. So for, for an acute scaphoid fracture that's fixed a week after you do it, you have better results. Mm-hmm. Right. So every week and month that goes by, the results get a little poor. Now, yes. not night and day, not yeah. not terrible, but still after three months having it fixed, you have less of a chance of healing it. Uh, and so yeah. you have to be a little bit more careful with watching it so mm. when i do a delayed scaphoid fixation yeah i typically fix it with or without bone graft that's my next question which is you know getting bone graft from the wrist itself from the radius and then i watch it really closely for about two to three months at that three month point then i'm getting a cat scan to make sure it's healed mm-hmm. right so and there's no guarantees, right? Yeah. So you, you can start them moving at four to six weeks, I think, mm-hmm. moving the wrist and things like that. But usually, you know, you're really not doing a whole lot of strengthening, and you're nef- definitely not going to be doing contact until at least eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're banking on is that if, if everything goes well, yeah. and at eight weeks he's doing great, and we get a CAT scan and it's healed, then we can start him swinging the bat again. Then we could start pitching and, and contact. And that still is a long run. Again, purely speculative. Right. Injury happens yesterday. He walks in, you do an x-ray. Hey, got a fracture. And you're going to fix it. How are you fixing it? What What exactly yeah. are you doing to fix it? I that? always find that most fascinating. If, you know, taking us into, into the operating room with you. Yeah. You know, what's happening in there? And I, I know there's more than one way to do this and more than one option, but, but in general, what are you doing? In general, almost every time the fixation for this fracture is what's called a cannulated screw. So it's a small incision on the back of the wrist. Dorsal, yeah. To get to get to the to to get to the bone, then place a wire almost on like a a, you know like a a wire driver, which which is basically like a a drill uh, with a with a small wire. Yeah. Uh, We put that through the scaphoid uh, from end to end. Yeah. Take X-rays. Make sure it's uh, in a good position. Sure, yeah, make sure everything looks like it's lined up. And then there's a special screw that slides over the wire and goes across the fracture. And the thing that makes the screw special is that it compresses the fracture and gives it stability. Differential so pitch. You're just yeah. bringing that fracture together, basically. Yeah, so as it goes in, uh, you know, it doesn't just hold the position of the fracture. It actually brings the two fragments together and compresses them. And that's what leads to a better rate of union. And union is basically what we call healing of the bone. Right. So you have a better rate of union with fixation than you do with that. And we've talked about this before, even on this podcast. Bone heals and compression. That's how bone reacts to stress. It adds more bone. And so so if you're able to get the two halves of the bone to squeeze together, Mm -hmm. you can jumpstart that healing process. So that's what it does. And in... It, and, and again, here I go down the weeds, right? So with the, with a screw, a screw is just a plane 
wrapped around a cylinder or a post, right? And if, if that plane is wrapped around at a different angle, uh, two different sides, you can actually create, cause the two ends of the bone to push together, which is what creates that compression, which jump starts that healing process. So you have special screws um, strategically planned to jump start mm -hmm. the healing process. What happens now if you're four weeks out? Do you approach it the same way? Is it the same thing? Yes. What happens if you're two months out? Are you approaching it the same way? That's where it gets a little bit dicier. You know, that's where you start to think, all right, well, do I need, you know, a CAT scan to look at this? Do I need, you know, a better idea of how close these bones are together? So a CAT scan, what that tells you is a is very good definition of what the bones look like. And if the bones have more separation than you think mm -hmm. on the CAT scan, then you go, okay, maybe I need to do a little bit more. And if it's a lot of separation, then you know you have to do a little bit right. more. You have to make a bigger incision. You yeah, have to you're ever opening together. this and, and pushing those two pieces as opposed to letting the screw do the work. You're ever opening it and pushing them together. Yes. Yeah. Rarely, but yes, that's that that has to happen from time to time. My hope is for Fernando right. that it is, uh, you know, basically a fracture that just didn't quite heal because it wasn't stabilized and that he needs the the screw and one screw only and that compresses it enough for it to heal um, but we'll never get those details right. you know now uh, if i can go back to the to the operating room to me the wrist seems it's, it's just like a small joint right so um, complex yeah and so complex um so you talk about this internal hardware right the wires and screws how big are those things there, like, is there a measurement? Like, how? Are, I know I, I don't want to use the term microscopic, so but like, two like you, I know that, like, but you know what I mean. Like, there, it's small. just such a small area to, for you to work in. That those that that thing that those things must be pretty small to begin with, right? Yeah, it's about half the size of of like a screw you'd put in drywall. You know, it's wow. it's it's smaller than that, but it's made out of titanium mm -hmm. and uh, it stays you know within the bone, mm -hmm. uh, so it, it stays buried within the bone, so it typically doesn't cause any problem. And uh, like Dr. Frey said, it, it it's a technologically advanced screw. It's really, right. really an incredible design, and the engineering behind it's amazing. So they work really well. Yeah. We're about four weeks out from what we know his surgery was. We, you know, we're, it looks like all reports say like it was March 14th. Oh, so he had, okay, he's yeah. four weeks out. Okay. Yeah, so that's why I pulled out my phone to kind of go through the calendar there. But yeah. um, four weeks out, where where is he at right now? If you had a guess. If he, if he were my patient, he, sure. would, he would probably be immobilized for the first four weeks. Okay. Uh, and just to be sure that you're not getting any disruption mm -hmm. of what you've done. Right. Again, a little bit different than I would do with an acute fracture. At that point, they're just getting x-rays and they're seeing how he feels. If he's not having any pain there and uh, the x-ray looks good and it looks like everything's fixed well, they're probably going to get him started in some gentle motion, doing some gentle range of motion exercises just to kind of keep him from getting too stiff. Yeah. And then they're, they're, they're going to continue to kind of shut him down. Mm -hmm. What are the follow-ups like with you? I mean, how often are you seeing them post-op? In the beginning, every two weeks. Yeah. After for that, how many weeks? Uh, for, you say, for when you say in the beginning, is that for the first month, two months? First two weeks. Yeah. Okay. I see. I see. I see him at two weeks. I see him at four weeks. Okay. Uh, and then I and then usually about eight weeks. Okay. And then if if necessary, 
12 Ooh. weeks, but some people right. at eight weeks are, are good to go and wow. they're feeling good. What do you need to see to clear somebody? Right, like I'm, I'm relying on you like, hey doc, when, when does he have to go? Or what do you need to see to, to give that clearance, right? So like any athletic injury, right? Yeah. What do you want, right? You, in sure. order to clear somebody, it depends, on the, heal. It, it depends on number one, the athlete and what they do yeah. and the injury uh, for, for this. I want, number one, I want to make sure it's healed, right? So I want to be sure of that. Often you can tell that on x-ray, yeah. but sometimes there's a question and you right. need to get a CAT scan. For sure. Which but, is surprising, right? I don't think the average individual would think that, but it's absolutely true. Sometimes it's hard to tell for sure and you need a more detailed study. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's, it's, it's especially if a higher level, a higher level athlete, I'm going to get a CAT scan. Right. Yeah. Because they want to get that. Right. And not to say that they're dishonest, mm -hmm. but their level of pain might be different. And yeah. they might say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm fine, Doc. I'm good. Everything's yeah. good. Let me ask you this. And, and um, what would you say to the person who says, hey, Doc, you're going to send me for a CAT scan. Shouldn't I get an MRI? Why a CAT scan? The CAT scan is just the right study. Yeah. An MRI doesn't do well with metal. Right. So uh, a CAT scan shows bone detail much better. better. Yeah. And, and so w we would see better so healing on that. That's yeah. the right answer there. Yeah. Yeah. What does Fernando Tease's future look like? Does he return to his norm? Yes. Yeah. It's that, that easily? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I don't when think the time's it, right. But assuming yeah. it heals. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I think that the, the level of care that he's getting mm -hmm. And the amount of people that are that are that are banking on this guy, mm -hmm. uh, he shouldn't have any long-term problems with this, mm -hmm. right? So even if it gets to three months from now, they mm -hmm. get a CAT scan, it's not healed. Right. right. He's going to have a revision surgery. That's they're eventually yeah. going to get this right, yeah. and he's going to get back to doing it. the The only problem will be if it didn't heal and. They found out about it years later when he was dealing with wrist arthritis, which is the big problem. Tell us about that. So, like, let's say people in his ear say, hey, listen, you really got to do this. You got to, like, like, this could go in a bad way. It probably will go in a bad way at this point if you don't go down a surgical route or, or if he does does the surgery and it, it and you don't get union, if the bone doesn't heal and he's like, I'm done, I'm going to be okay. That's fine. Leaves it alone. But what are the ramifications down the line? Or if he never got the surgery, didn't he never knew about it, ignored it, and never got the surgery? Where does it go? I have no idea. Right, right. That's the crazy part of all right. this, right? So, yeah. tell you a, a very quick story. I had a kid come in to me about five years ago. He was from North Philadelphia, uh, 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 an excellent featherweight boxer. Right. He was shot in the hand oh, sorry. at a family party, and it went through his wrist, through his scaphoid, bones shattered. He showed up to me two and a half months after it happened, and he said to me, "Well, what you know? What's my future here?" Right. And I said, "Well, your future is you're never going to box again. You're never going to be able to do this again." Right. And I never saw him again. Okay. He, I sent him to, I gave him a script for therapy and I said, work on some therapy to work on your strength and your, your motion and see how it goes. Have a good functional life. And I saw him two years later 
when it went to the Blue Horizon right. and watched him fight the title fight for the featherweight You're championship. You're kidding me. And win it. Yeah. And I was like, holy crap. Right. right. I mean, I mean, a guy with a literally a shattered wrist. Right. Was able it's to gotta get be back. the exception, right? That's not the norm. It's gotta be the exception. But we don't know, truthfully. Right. What we do know is that the results of a scapegoat fracture are in general poor. Right, exactly. You know, a, a one that doesn't doesn't heal. Degenerated wrist and yeah. So so yeah, you, you do everything you can to, to, to point them in that direction, but the truth is you really don't or you're, nobody's able to predict the future. Does, does it turn into potentially a wrist fusion? It can in, you know, in long-term scenarios, 15, 20 years down the road. So it's that far down the line. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're not talking about any time in, in, in the future, in the near future. I can't help but wonder if all the reports that we've read and we discussed here tonight about this lockout and how it affected this specific injury, if there was no lockout, would he have just missed spring training and then been ready to go and the march? And I, I guess we're just speeding the timeline up. Excuse me, speeding the timeline up three months. If he reported in December, they found it. He got surgery at the end of December. Maybe he was back in the March. I think the, the, the lockout's a convenient excuse for him doing something dumb, right. getting hurt, right. and and saying, you know what, I'm gonna just see how it goes. Yeah. And and he did. Yeah. And. I'm sure he regrets that. Right. But uh, but I, I don't think it would have been any different without a lockout. I think it probably would have been a thing where he starts working out again yeah. in, you know, February, March, yeah, yeah, February, February, March, March and yeah. goes, oh, crap, something's not right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we, would, and there, we would have been in the same position. Right. Yeah. And he's, then he's now yeah. getting evaluated. And yeah. In this particular situation, there are some potential legal protections for him. Yeah. Uh, just happened to play out this way. Right. It is pure speculation, right? Yeah. We have no idea, but right. we're speculating. But you know, it sounds like a very reasonable. Hopefully, Tatis scenario. is not listening to this podcast. You know, <laughs> getting pissed, getting enraged. Yeah, we don't right. want to <laughs> get in trouble. Here. Right. That's right. That's right. Well, you even you don't even really know how the reports come out of this motorcycle accident in the Dominican Republic. I mean, it, I can't imagine he turned around and was like, "I got to call some people, let them know what just happened." It's, I'm sure things just kind of leak from everywhere yeah. you know like he probably didn't want it to come out to begin with you know at that yeah. point you know i don't know what it is doc but i'm not just saying this is dr dwyer's here but the hand wrist elbow stuff I mean, it is fascinating i don't know if i just didn't see enough of it in pro sports or what right. but uh I, I really enjoy these, these these episodes with the hand guys i think we have a few good docs yeah. we tend to turn to a lot yeah it makes it that much more fun and that much right. more interesting because standard tradition Hand weenies, man. Like, like it's, it's not not really a lot of fun. But we're, Dr. Dwyer, we're, we're your been lucky to stumble upon a couple of good guys. We've yet to really have that head-to-head uh, -head battle that I'm looking for with right. this. But <laughs> if, if, if we do the mashup that we had previously talked right. about, where, where, where Dr. Dwyer talks a little bit about sports and I talk right. a little bit about hand, right. he's going to muddle his way through sports and probably get it right. I'm going to fall flat on my face when it comes to the hand stuff. Right. So, so. Right. Yeah. We'll say no, not really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. try and distance myself from knees and as much as I can. And I love the fact we don't get too caught up in the minutia, man. Like the, the details, the nonsense. Um, yeah, that, that, I appreciate. It. I love the fact that you came back on. Oh, it's always a good it. show, and I love coming here. It's fun. I'll tell you what. There's another. Uh, our last episode, we had Dean Millard on talking about some golf injuries, and he brought up the hamate fracture. Hamate, yeah, uh, yeah. Now that baseball's back in full swing, 
Yeah, I'm sure. We'll, yeah, I bet you we see one of those down the road here. Maybe we can get you back on the talk. Oh about no, that's it. a that's a good one. Yeah, that's yeah. that one's a, a, even harder to detect than the, yeah. uh, than the skate. I, I saw a lot of that in my time in baseball, yeah. right? You know, you yeah. just get this pain from this repetitive swinging. And yep. uh, he brought that up when we were talking about, you know, the Masters coming up, you know, yeah. that past weekend. But um, yeah, maybe we'll get you back down here soon. Would love it. Better than just waiting six months, right? Yeah, man, <laughs> I'm good. Before we go ahead and wrap things up for this evening, we want to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Reconstructive Orthopedics with our eight locations and focused on you approach, covering all of your orthopedic needs. The Energy Lab, the region's premier sports performance destination. Neck of the Woods Brewing Company, of course, for hosting us each and every week, located right here at 614 Lambs Road, Pittman, New Jersey. And as always, our good friends at Timber Real Productions. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll catch everybody next time.